Welcome to Present Company, the Netflix podcast that brings you dynamic conversations with exceptional people behind your favorite series, films, documentaries, and specials. I'm your host, Krista Smith. For years, I was Vanity Fair's ambassador to Hollywood, interviewing countless actors as well as creatives and authorities across the spectrum. My passion is talent, any form of it. How do you know you have it? How do you cultivate it? How do you protect it? And also, I want to get to the heart of what drives it. On this podcast, I'll be talking to people in Hollywood and far beyond. Thank you for joining me. Today, I'm thrilled to bring you my interview with Kelvin Harrison Jr., who is truly one of the most gifted young actors working in Hollywood. At just 26 years old, Kelvin has already delivered a series of critically lauded, commanding performances in films like Loose, for which he was nominated for an Independent Spirit Award, and Waves, and The Trial of Chicago 7. Now he joins me to talk about Monster, a film based on the acclaimed book by Walter Dean Myers and directed by Anthony Mandler, the celebrated music video director who has worked with the likes of Rihanna and Beyonce. Monster tells the story of Steve Harmon, played by Kelvin, a 17-year-old honor student whose world comes crashing down when he is charged with felony murder. And let me tell you, the cast in this film is nothing short of extraordinary. From Jeffrey Wright and Jennifer Hudson and Jennifer Ely, to John David Washington, Jarell Jerome, ASAP Rocky, and Nas. The film is so affecting, so timely, so urgent, you're going to be thinking about this long after the credits roll. And yet again, Kelvin Harrison Jr. delivers a performance you can't take your eyes off. So without further ado, here he is. Kelvin, it's great to meet you. Thank you so much for talking to me. Um, congratulations on what is yet another phenomenal performance in your otherwise very short career that is littered with one performance after another that is spectacular. I, I don't think I can actually remember uh, an actor uh, coming on so strong from jump and just delivering again and again and again and again in, in short order. Um, how has this been for you this year alone? Uh, it's been, uh, thank you by the way. And, uh, it's been, it's been fun. <laughs> it's been fun. I mean, I know it's been COVID has been, a, you know, its own thing, but strangely enough, it, it's been, uh, it didn't stop. So I've been able to kind of go to work and do different projects. Like I was, I was able to work with Joe Wright and Baz Luhrmann. And I was like, I, I feel really grateful and privileged in that way. So I've, I've been able to learn a lot. And that's, that's what makes me the most happy to be honest. Is the community. Yeah. Well, well, we'll get to those, those pro upcoming projects uh, a little bit later in this conversation. And, uh, but right now I want to start with monster. Uh, this film, I was so affected by it in ways that I couldn't anticipate. It's a, a complex, complicated story about race, our assumptions, our expectations, the parallel experiences that I feel are so unique to young black men in America in particular, about the balance of embodying this kind of striving for, for excellence and goals at the same time you live in a place where you walk out your door and there's a society that can, that dehumanizes in one sense. Like there's, you know, you don't know what's going to happen. The rules are different. 
Mm-hmm. And was that something that drew you to this character? Like, what, what was it for you? Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I think initially it was like, um, I, you know, I think it was more so about what I didn't know and the things that I, I, I was taught to not be afraid of out of as, as my parents tried to protect me at growing up. And so when I saw the script, I was just like, oh, he's a kid who um, wants to be an artist. I was like, I want to be an artist. I get that. And I was like, okay, this is a kid who now is on trial. Uh, And I was like, I don't really get that. But I was like, I hear this happens. You know, I have seen this happen in the news and I've seen this happen to other black boys. But I guess like Steve and myself, I was like, well, we're, we're an anomaly. You know, we well, my parents did a really good job at trying to put me in the best schools. I got to go to a private school growing up. Steve got to go to Stuyvesant. Um, I had a very diverse group of friends. Um, And I wasn't thinking about how my race played a role into my success in life and my freedom. Um, And I think when I finally got the script, I didn't want to do it because I didn't get it, to be honest. And I didn't read the book. And um, I think other people saw that I should have been doing it just because of the fact that I didn't get it. And I think that's what Steve has to learn. So I think a lot of um, me getting into the part and and making it make sense was more so people understanding that I had a journey to go on that would really help this character and his development throughout the story. That's interesting. So tell me about getting into Steve, because it mm-hmm. is there's so much in the gray area here uh, with this character in this film, which is what I loved. I loved the way, uh, the director wove it together. And then in the end, everything fits suddenly it all makes sense. And, but for you as an actor on the page, how did you get into Steve not having come from not having had such a similar experience? Yeah, I think, um, it just was, uh, it was, I mean, I guess I just started doing the work I would, like I always would do is it started with just trying to understand Harlem and the community there. And I, I grew up in New Orleans. So I think the, the cultural, how New Orleans takes um, some of their disadvantages and turns it into something. I mean, the whole basis of gumbo is all scraps being put into a pot. And I think, you know, Harlem does a similar thing as well as just taking your music, culture, fashion, style, um, just being in these really small communities where they don't, you know, the bodegas, all of it, you know, it's just, you know, chopped cheese, whatever that is, and trying to find fun and, and charisma and light in it, which I think Rocky really does and is the embodiment of what um, the, 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 the luxurious part of, uh, you know, of that culture in Harlem. Um, and so trying to learn how to appreciate that and apply it to this kid. But a lot of it was uh, was just tracking um, what, what was his home life like? What 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 were his parents like? What was he looking for? He's curious, just like I would be at 17. Um, how sheltered has he been? Um, what, what, at what point is, is he losing his innocence? Who is he looking for, for power? Um, and, and that's really what most of these, you know, young people in general, but especially young black kids are looking for, like, how do I have power in my life? Where, where do I have agency? Um, and where is he getting that from in the story? And then 
I based a lot of the prison stuff I had. My cousin went to um, prison at a very young age. And, you know, I would hear the stories because my, my, my family are very Christian. And um, I remember my aunt would tell me these stories about when she would go to visit him and she would try to read Bible scriptures to him and she would try to encourage him. And I would, I would see how he would react. I would hear the stories. And, you know, knowing my cousin, I would kind of place a lot of those things on him on what he was personally going through versus like, um, you know, what Steve was going to do in compare and contrast. So it's just pulling from a lot of different things to make it work. But there is a great scene where Jennifer Hudson, who plays your mom, does visit you in prison. It was just a heartbreaking scene uh, for a lot of reasons. But her trying, to, you know, she can't give you the Bible verses. They won't allow her to do that. So she then wants to say them with you. And this look on your face is like mortification, but yet longing at the same time mm-hmm. where you're like right now, like I have to say them out loud with you now. And she's like, yes, with me now. And it's just like it was mm-hmm. such a powerful scene in such an unexpected way that had nothing to do with what either one of you were saying. Mm-hmm. I think it's so much too about like just really trying not to 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 trying to not believe the current circumstance that they're in and really trying to show each other how much how much they are grateful for you how, how often we as young people were grateful for our parents but also we feel like we've let them down and we're embarrassed and ashamed of it but then really what we're what they kind of commenting on in the scene is, is that you know they the circumstance that teaches us to be ashamed of ourselves and then our mental health declines because of it. So it's, it's, a, it's just, you know, even the scene with you know, when, when Jeffrey Wright comes in, my dad, Mr. Harmon comes into the movie. It's, it's very similar too of just this idea and the, and the things that they ingrained into the child to protect him still doesn't and can't. And we both understand that in that moment. And it's very scary knowing how do we move forward from there? You don't know. And yeah, so you can literally gain all the privilege and power in the world that that you can as a black person and still not thrive. And they have to sit with that. Yeah. And that's a parent's worst nightmare. Um, One of the actors I want to talk about, and you just mentioned Jeffrey Wright. I mean, just to be in his presence, that is um, we talk about it's a masterclass in acting. What can this man not do? I mean, everything he can do everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what did you take away from, from being and sparring with him in these scenes and, and being with him and learning from him? I think it's just, it was, it was, it was really cool to watch how he, the things he needs to, to give himself the space to do what he does. And it's, it's really like, he's very specific about, you know, who's passing him, what's happening, you know, who's sitting where the continuity of it all. Um, you know, is there background noise happening? You know, he's just very specific about all the little details of the moment. And I think all of those things feed into him of being able to find peace and calmness in a moment and then giving his heart and, and, and giving peace of himself, his spirit and his soul through the character, through the dialogue. And he breathes through it and takes his time. And I was like, to be able to, I think it's, it, it, there's a confidence in that actor that I think is, it makes all the greats great. It's a confidence in their humanity and their understanding of their instrument that they can give that forward when they feel supported. But sometimes you have to kind of also, you know, do a little bit of, a, you know, conducting as well as we as we collaborate with each other. So he was very collaborative with me and Anthony. And it was just cool. It was just cool to watch. It was just cool to watch. You know, do you think he'll take did you take any of that into any of your other performances? Oh, for sure. Oh, for sure. I think, you know. 
even on that set, I think that that was shot, I think in the middle of the shoot. And after that, I was just like, <laughs> I was trying to get as specific as possible. And I was trying to you know, create space as much as possible. And I, you know, I, after that, I ended up doing like loose and waves and all that stuff. And it really kind of watching him and watching, you know, even Jennifer Ely and, you know, these, 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 these like powerhouse actors, I think, find, create, find, find ways to enter a scene, find their in and find a way to keep, keep the momentum and keep the movement active because it is um, an art, it's a, it's a craft, it's, a, it's an entertainment at the end of the day to tell story. And seeing how they did that really, I guess, changed how I viewed my position as an actor, um, especially if I'm supposed to lead a movie. Um, so yeah, for sure. I, t- I definitely took a lot of it. Yeah, Jennifer Ely. I mean, come on. I remember her, uh, Elizabeth Bennett in Pride and Prejudice. She has been, she is phenomenal. And she is so good as your attorney in in this and everything that she holds back. It's just so powerful and, and so important. Um, and also, let's talk about ASAP Rocky and Nas, like not to be left out. I know these are uh, multi-hyphenate uh, talents, but it certainly didn't feel like stunt casting, which I really, you know, you never know when when a rapper musician is going to play a part. I thought they were superb, personally, superb. I agree. I agree. Rocky's incredible in the movie. I think what he's able to like, he brings so much of himself and he really manages to like he, he read the book as a kid. And so I think he already had this like personal um, attachment to the story. And Rocky's like the way his wardrobe and the way he dresses and his slang. Like I said, it's all, it's, it's the pieces of the gumbo. Rocky is the gumbo to me. I, I will look at it if you're from New Orleans, but you know, and, 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 and it tastes good. And, and it makes so much sense when you're looking at us, a kid like Steve wanting to celebrate um the the men in his life and, and the and the men in, in, of his culture as they have found the story and I think that's the thing is Rocky represents survival coming out of it and owning his situation owning his oppression to, to an extent and 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 turning it into something that makes sense for him even in these uncomfortable scenarios where he still has to figure out how to survive at the end of the day while understanding the systems around him. And I think, you know, I look at Rocky as a rapper and I kind of go, he kind of does that too for masculinity. He does that for, for all these different elements and he opens so many doors. And I think that that's, I, th- I thought Anthony was so smart and putting, you know, someone like him in as the role of King and same with Nas with his just like wisdom and his grounding and his just ability just to be like, I'm here to, you know, pass it on to the next generation. Um, so yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, that was he. Nas was amazing. They both were, but they both were. Well, you talk about Anthony, Anthony Mandler, the director. This is a first-time director. He kind of cut his teeth in music videos and very famously with Rihanna and and Beyonce, a couple couple people, if you've heard of them, um, you know. So he he definitely been through it, obviously. But what is so unique and refreshing about this film is the way he shoots it. And it is not in order and it's not in, it's a different cadence altogether. Can you talk to me a little bit about that collaboration and and working with him? Yeah. The first thing he he gave me, he, it was the first time I had a director send me a list of references. And so he had all these like documentaries of skate kids and like a lot of Instagram accounts and um, 
just just trying to to take in the whole filmmaker aspect of it. Um, and he gave me a phone and he gave me an app. And so I, my, my assignment, my homework all the time was to go and like film the kids in the movie and like film Harlem. And I would have to turn in these little videos to him to see what I was shooting. Um, and then he would kind of talk to me about, you know, what it is that I was shooting, why I was shooting it, what is the story that I want to tell, and also keeping a journal as well. Um, and so we didn't really, I didn't really know. I think Anthony was really good in, in the way of, of, of kind of, because I didn't, this was my first time leading a movie and I didn't really know what I was doing, obviously. And, and so he was really good about just allowing me to do it the way I wanted to do it and what made the most sense for me. So we kind of organized it in order. And um, I would journal in order. And once I finished doing the journaling before we started the movie, then I would take the journal pieces as the scenes were scattered about and then look into those moments. And then we would investigate that. So a lot of the voiceovers are like, you know, rewritten from my actual journal entries of like when I was in the prison and what versus my idea of what it might have been like versus my experience while I was there. Um, and even like when we were shooting there, he would kind of leave me in there the whole day and lunch would come to me so I can really take it in. And we would just roll the camera all day and just see what we discover. And a lot of those sequences aren't even really in the movie. But um, I think he just it was like it was like jazz. Like, I think he because he thinks in music as well. And we had so many musicians. It really felt like improvisational jazz a lot of the time and just. Um, and Steve talks about that in the book as well. You know, it you know it, it just has this this cadence to it. So um, it was just riffing and, and playing around most of the time. It was very open. What was what was the final person or thing that talked you into taking the part and taking the lead in a part that you're kind of insecure about doing in the first place? What was what was that person or thing that pushed you into it? Um, I think it was really you know. I think I got to the the screen test and I was reading the opening monologue and I, it just hit me for some reason. It all just hit me as I was sitting there. And I, I think I was saying the, you know, and that prosecutor said that I was a monster and I forgot what the lines are, but you know, it was something about, it was saying the words and getting to a place where, I suddenly was looking at myself. It was, it was talking about something I had never spoken of before, which were the microaggressions and the micro racist, racist like act, act, actions that were kind of like put on me at, in high school and my upbringing in the South kind of all kind of started to play a role into how I interpreted that monologue. And then I was like, and then I think I, I understood as well that I had something to say. Mm-hmm. And... Um, and I had something to learn. And I think that made me excited because I don't choose any movie unless I personally too can learn something. Because if I don't learn anything, what is anyone else going to take from the movie, you know? And I kind of, I mean, not everything that every movie has to be a lesson, but, you know, certain movies do a certain thing. Grow from it. And one of the things that I found uh, the experience watching it was the, the different points of view from all these different black men at different phases in their life and different decisions they've made. What would have happened if Steve had not taken those 93 steps, right? What would have happened if little decisions for everybody were different? What did you take away from, from that and being part of that? Mm. I think, you know, I think it's interesting because I, I was taught to, 
you know, it's funny. I, even I was doing press last week and someone said, this movie is about, you know, being mindful of the company you keep. I don't think so. I think, I think that is what we're, I think, you know, my parents taught me to be almost afraid of, of like, it's the same thing. Jennifer, Jennifer's character says like, don't go through that park. Be careful. Don't deal with those kids. We label them and we judge them and we want to, to, to also call them monsters when they do what they need to do to survive as well. Their circumstances put them in a position where they do um, compromising things and not to justify behavior, but I think the idea of, of, of trying not to even judge my brothers and sisters and ultimately finding, I think what Steve's journey is, it's like, I'm actually curious about King and I'm even curious about Bobo. And the, the, the way society works is that we want to bunch you, Steve, King and Bobo all as the same. And we also want us to all fear each other, which, you know, I was watching this show, um, called Warren Stories. And they were talking about these t-shirts that we have in the black community where we write our names and we put our pictures on them after someone passes away. And the story was that, you know, her son was getting ready to go to college and, um, and he had this going away party and the sister's boyfriend's brother was jealous of him, never met the boy in his life, came to the party and killed him, shot him. It's the jealousy and the rage and the uh, and confusion and the miseducation that that divides us. And ultimately, we talk about, you know, the crime in the black community, talk about, you know, us trying to get you know, the gang affiliations and, and reinstating people into these gangs. And I think for me, it was just like realizing that that is all taught. And I can't participate in that. I should empower them. I should love them. I should try to see them. I obviously have to keep certain boundaries and not be a fool, but trying to, to place labels on them as if they are, are worse than I am or that the system sees us all differently is not the solution. Um, and it also just continues to perpetuate these stereotypes. You know, what I think that what Monster does present is like Steve lives in this neighborhood. This is what is happening in his neighborhood. And we can't, uh, you, you, he can't avoid it. He can't walk past, you know, you have to engage. And, and at what level does he engage? I mean, I, I saw it completely. And I also saw it if, you know, it's impossible not to see race in it because if he had been white, would they have come to his house and arrested them in front of his parents? Most likely not. You know, right. that's what time and time again, we, we've seen um, to be true. Right. So mm -hmm. that that's that part of it. But how do you escape that in your own in your own neighborhood, in your own present, walking to and from school, going to and from here, running an errand, whatever? And and what's most interesting about it is here's a kid that is striving for excellence. He is in the school. His parents are on him. They're focused on him. They're focused on family life. It's not supposed to happen because they did everything right. And yet these, these circumstances still happen. And, and we've seen that play out in the news and it's been heartbreaking. And the timing on this just feels there's even more potency to this film and to the novel um, because of everything that we've been living through in the last year and a half and continue. And I really feel like we are on that. I hope we're on that precipice of real change. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, and, and this is one of these pieces of art that I feel helps clarify that as well. Mm -hmm. I agree. I agree.
Um, for you also, interestingly enough, it feels like there's a whole new generation of talent happening right now uh, in Hollywood. Do you feel a different kind of camaraderie around your generation, the kind of next generation of talent? Do you guys support each other? Are you in contact with each other? Like, what's it like? It's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's really, I think um, before COVID, it was really cool because I never got, I didn't get to meet that many people because I usually always end up finding my way working with adults. And so I'm like, I always get the, I get to be around Naomi Watts and Tim Roth and like, you know, and like, you know, Jeffrey and Jennifer, you know, and people like cats, cats like that. And I think it was cool um, for when I finally, I did Waves and we got to do this press tour and I got to like see, I got to meet Aquafina and I got to meet Caitlin Deaver and I got to, you know, um, just, you know, see my Michael Ward who won the BAFTA that, last year. And I think, I think it's, it's really cool to, you know, every now and then they'll text me and, like, you know, and I meet my hawk and I don't know, I get to meet all these kids that I think are so cool. Lucas, Hedges, and, you know, um, it's it's nice. And I think we're really encouraging. And I think when we hear about new projects, we're like, oh, are you doing that? Did you read that script? That's cool. Oh, such and so, did you take that meeting? And I really saw your work here. It was beautiful. And and I think, you know, it's it's nice to be able to, like, hang out with them sometimes or get on, like, a call and, and, and chop it up a bit. So uh, I, everyone's really, I mean, everyone's killing it. Everyone's doing they are killing it and you're killing it. So you, you talked about this earlier, but you're doing Cyrano to Bergiac. You, you finished that. Yes. You're doing, um, you're playing BB King and Baz Luhrmann's Elvis Presley. Right. Um, but one of the things that was that struck me that I want you to talk about is, and I've read that you've, you've talked about this pretty openly. You were grew up in a household, very strict, sheltered, but it was really centered around music. And your father was a musician and your mother was was a musician and a vocalist. And there was a real commitment with the family to for you to excel in music uh, through an instrument, through playing an instrument, that was going to be your path. And you had that pressure. And I know what that is like an elite athlete, an elite musician. You've got a 10,000 hours as Malcolm Gladwell says, you've got to practice, you've got to put in the time. Uh, and as a kid, I know I can't, I scream at my kids to even practice for a half an hour. So I know how hard that is and what a sacrifice it is as a young, as a young kid and as a young adult. But now that you have some perspective on that, what do you think were the positives of that experience? Even though you didn't become a jazz uh, musician, you know, even though you didn't pursue a career in that in that area, what were the positive takeaways from that? It taught me work ethic. It really did. It really taught me work ethic, and um, it taught me. Hot that I can't, I'm capable of doing a lot more than I would allow myself to believe. And it, it truly is about a mindset. And I think, you know, the thing that I think a bit, the reason why I've been able to do so many movies in this like short time span is mostly because like, I don't stop, you know what I mean? Like I, I find, you know, I work, I've, I take with some actors and they kind of, they'll do and that's fine. No judgment. <laughs> but I think, you know, they'll do like a couple of takes and they'll be like, and that's that. And I, I just, you know, I think about it like I was practicing when I'm auditioning, it is an opportunity to practice my craft, my instrument. I try things. It's a safe space. And I think, um, it's allowed me to collaborate. I think even the, my dad pushing me to understand jazz and classical music was also being able to have a conversation around storytelling in that way. Um, being able to open my eyes to different ideas. 
Um, and I think I, I apply all of that to like when I'm working with directors, when I'm having meetings, um, it's, 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 if I don't have anything to say, I don't need to say anything. It taught me to be an observer. It taught me to, to listen better. Um, but ultimately it just taught me to have a really good work ethic and be very disciplined, uh, which, you know, sometimes I don't really have a life, but I, I, I find great joy in it, you know? So do you, what, what was your instrument? I played, um, j- trumpet and, um, piano. So do you, when you see a piano, do you sit down and do you just like rage with those ivories? Like you have the, the temptation to go back in there or, or do you carry a trumpet with you? Have you like, how far away from actual playing music are you? Very far away. <laughs> <laughs> I think I do miss it recently. I've started to miss it again. I think because it's been, it's been almost a, I wouldn't even say a decade yet, but it's close. It's like, I mean, as long as I've been acting, I've not stopped. I stopped playing. Mm-hmm. So I think um, I, I, I do think about it, but I do it in the privacy of my own home. Mm-hmm. I just feel weird about, because musicians do that thing where they hear you playing and they kind of want to get in and start jam session. And then it starts to make me feel like I'm with my dad again. <laughs> I'm not trying to do that. <laughs> how, how are your parents now that you obviously are clearly ensconced as, as an actor in this profession and have they kind of accepted it and embraced it? Yeah, they really, I mean, my dad has all the movies and he watches them like once a week. And oh. it's very, it's very interesting now. Cause at first he was like, you should finish school and you should continue playing music. And that was their idea. Cause it was based on their understanding of what that business was. So it was like, we can help you here. We mm-hmm. don't really know what that looks like. But now that I've been able to make my own way in it, I think they're, they're, they're very, they, they get really excited, especially about the roles that we choose. And also I'm playing musicians a lot now too. Um, mm-hmm. So, well, BB King, how was that playing BB King? Oh, it was so much fun. It was so much fun. It's just what I love about these icons that I, if I, when I get to play them is that they've lived a whole life and, and the things that they've had to discover to, in order to get to where they were are, are like, it's like free wisdom. Like you really get to kind of sit there and really investigate it and then apply it as much as possible. And that was a man who chose joy every chance he got. He loved his job. And I was like, even through all the oppression, I mean, this, you know, he was coming into it in the 60s, like Martin Luther King died in 68, was assassinated. And you think about the fact that, you know, the the, the, the blues and, 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 and the light he was able to put into it and the passion and the love for food. And I don't know, it's just like he really made something out of it. And I think it really changed my perspective on how I move in the rest of my career and the roles I choose, like you don't have to dwell on the negative. That's why I appreciate you asking me too the, about what was the good thing about my time with my parents. Cause I used to kind of think about it like, Oh, that was so like, Oh, my parents are so annoying. But I'm like, no, it was really beautiful. You know, sometimes cracking that whip like that is a beautiful thing. <laughs> you just don't realize it until later, you know? No, it'll, even as you, even as you grow, it, you'll get more appreciation for it. Um, yeah. I always ask this question at the end of my interviews, what kind of advice do you have for someone that like wants to have a career as an actor or maybe is stalled and is frustrated and, you know, can't, can't see their way through it or can't see their way to success? What, what advice do you have? Yeah, I think, I think a lot of, a lot of people, young and old, actually, sometimes, put a lot of pressure on the gift and the talent element to it all. And I just think that we all have a gift and we all have a talent. And I, and I truly believe that we have to trust that and nurture and love that 
But the, the thing about the business is so much more about learning the business that you're in and then figuring out how do I apply my gift? If you're doubting the gift, then you're, you're probably going to have a hard time with the business. So trust, trust that that's already there, but then learn about what it is that you want to do. Cause I think that was the thing when I first started, it was like, I really did a lot of research and read a lot of books about, okay, what is the agency thing? And what are the studios really talking about? And how do I fit into this as a black person? Um, you know, and what, what's on the news, you know, it, it's really understanding what are they thinking about to, in order to cast me in the first place. And then I was able to sit there and kind of talk to the director and be like, okay, I know what your goal is. And I know that it doesn't, it just extends to storytelling. I know there's a million other things to think about. This is how I can help you do that. Cause then that brings them ease. And I think, and I, I've never doubted that the fact that I had something to say, um, I just, didn't always know what it was that I needed to say with what project. <laughs> so, you know, I think that's the ongoing process. And so I think that's the, yeah, that's my advice. It's just trusting yourself and, and learning your business. It's awesome. Thank you so much, Calvin. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining me. Monster is streaming now on Netflix. Please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast wherever you've been listening. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Krista Smith. Join me next time for more meaningful conversations here at Present Company.